from Relay FM. This is Upgrade, episode 130. Today's show is brought to you by Blue Apron, FreshBooks, and Encapsula. My name is Mike Hurley, and I am joined by Mr. Jason Snell. It's lucky number 130, Mike. That's what they call it. That's as the old phrase goes. Lucky 130. Unlucky 13, lucky 130. Mm-hmm. We are going to be together in a few weeks' time. We are. Uh, I was. Uh, I was asked to return to your part of the world, mm-hmm. and uh, and so we're going to get together. Yeah, I'm going to be. So last fall, uh, we we saw each other and we did a special yep. upgrade episode from Ireland, where I uh, I was doing. You attended Ul, and I was attending Ul, but my I was also a, a special guest of the event. And what I was doing is interviewing participants in the event for something uh, called Ul Radio, which is a podcast that I did. And it was just, you know, 20 minute interviews with interesting people talking about what they, you know, what sort of the same subjects that they were talking about at Ul. And we also did a clockwise from there. Anyway, they asked me to come back and do more Ul Radio this time. And uh, I said yes, because I can't resist going back to Ireland. I think this will be the fifth straight calendar year I've gone to Ireland, which is crazy because I'd never been before. Um, and the fourth Ool. So we're gonna we're gonna both uh, we're gonna both be, both be an Ool. That's the starter. We will be back in Ireland together. And uh, people should. I guess we should plug Ool twenty seventeen dot Ool U L L dot I E. They have not asked us to in any no. way, but. The fact that this will be well the third time that we've recorded upgrade from all, yeah, uh, I think that we will both very much endorse this conference. It is my favorite conference that I go to. Mm-hmm. Um, all is very special and it's a special place. And the lineup this year is maybe the best lineup that I've seen at all before. Um, mm. So I'm super excited about it. Uh, I'm. I have a warm feeling in my heart to like look at the lineup and see how many Relay FM hosts there are, um, <laughs> yep. and that that makes me smile. Um, I yeah, all is amazing. If you're inclined, if you're thinking about doing it, I would ex- you know I would say uh, yeah, you sh- really should. Like if if you're thinking about it, I recommend that you actually just go out and do it. So we'll put some links in the show notes. You should yeah. attend if you're interested. And you can see us, and we'll we'll be there. And depending on timing, we, we've tended to record upgrade from a uh, from a, a hotel room, but you never know. Um, the Ool Radio room was actually pretty great, and we had an audience for Clockwise. And I'm not sure what days I'm having idea. access to the rooms. We mm-hmm. might be able to record upgrade just in the room that's the podcast room. So upgrade in front of a live audience could be. It's possible. That would be exciting. But if not, uh, we'll definitely be around and and talking to people and uh yeah so so check it out and we'll be there but talking about being around i'm going to flash everybody back to 2015 if you remember back to then i i was uh going to ul and it was this time of year i think it was more of the of, of the spring and they moved it to fall last year for a few reasons but it's back in the spring 2015 i made a point of stopping by the UK, which I couldn't do in 2016. Uh, Since I'm going all that way, I wanted to visit my pals in the UK as well. So that's happening again. And we did a meetup in 2015 when I was there with me and Mike at a place called the Big Chill House in Mm -hmm. King's Cross. And guess what? We are doing it 
again. We're doing it again. And we've done uh, a couple of meetups there now. Like we did one with Federico um, last year and a few other Relay FM hosts as well. We did a connected mm-hmm. meetup. I really like the Big Chill. They're very accommodating. Um, yeah. This time we're going for a slightly smaller room than before. There are 50 tickets available. We have to do tickets because we have a room booked with a maximum capacity. Uh, so there are tickets. They're free. They're first come, first served. Uh, it's going to be on April the 5th, Wednesday, April the 5th, from 7.30 to 11 p.m., as Jason mentioned, at the Big Chill House. There is a link in the show notes where you can get your Upgrade London meetup tickets. We are only mentioning this on the show for now because we want to make sure that Upgradians get the uh, first attempt at coming to this thing. Because uh, yeah. ideally, we would love it if it was just Upgrade listeners right, that came because you're all the best people. Um, mm-hmm. And we want you to be there. So Wednesday, April 5th, there's a link in the show notes to get your Upgrade London meetup tickets. So you want to find that, click the link, sign up, and you'll be able to come and hang out with me and Mr. Jason Snell for a couple of hours. Uh, it was so much fun last time. I'm very excited to do it again. It was it was amazing. Um, somebody gave me cheese. Somebody yep, gave me some manchego, which I left behind. <laughs> <laughs> I just totally forgot about. Well, I was carrying cheese around for hours, and then I left it somewhere, and I don't even know where it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, can I be honest, Mike? Yep. People kept bringing us drinks. It was crazy. That- that may be the most alcohol I have ever had in one session. I, I And I remember thinking on the tube back to where I was staying, thinking, well, drunk people on the tube is pretty much common in London, so yeah. I'm not worried about it. Uh, I felt like I was fitting in, but boy, that was, there. people kept bringing us drinks. It was amazing and a great time and uh, met a lot of great people. So hopefully people will come and uh, find us at the Big Chill. So sign yep. up for the tickets. Last time it was way less prepared and we didn't really do any preparation at all. And this time I've decided we should. I think that's good. Literally, they were shooing us out of the main area. So mm-hmm. many people came for the meetup that they were like, we need to, you know, we we have an empty room upstairs. Why don't we just shoo these people upstairs and that way it'll be less intimidating intimidating in here for all of our other patrons. And that was great. But, you know, this time we wanted to plan ahead a little bit. So we have a, a room for us, which is nice. And they want us to, you know, and we have to buy drinks and things, obviously, because mm-hmm. there there's a, so, so everybody buy drinks or buy us drinks. <laughs> well, maybe buy yourself drinks first. Yeah, no, um, I don't, yeah, I don't endorse the everybody, but maybe like a, a small handful of people. No, that at, was at so dangerous. I, it is a, it is a city I'm not used to that I had to find my way back home to a place I don't normally live. It was tough. I'll make sure you get home this time. Don't worry. Thank you. Thank you, Mike. Thank you. I appreciate it. I will say it starts at 7.30 p.m. up until 11. You can come and leave whenever you want. You don't have to be there for the whole time. We won't keep you prison. Yeah. Don't worry. But you can come and we're going to have a great time. So I hope to see you there. I would like to address something. Uh, I'm sure you received equal amounts of tweets and emails about this as I did. Because it has long been known that both me and you enjoy pineapple on our pizza. With pepperoni pineapple being the preferred choice of both of us after you introduced it to me. It's it the is, most important uh, things, yes. Some would say the official food of the Upgrade podcast is pepperoni pineapple pizza. Well, I did find out on Analog episode 100, which mm-hmm. I got to participate in, that uh, pizza is your favorite food. It is. And this pizza is my favorite pizza. So really, you are responsible for my favorite food. So, well, you're welcome. 
anytime. Uh, <laughs> and basically, we received uh, a lot of follow-up and feedback about the fact that the president of Iceland, the country, said that he would ban pineapple as a pizza topping if he could. So lots of people were telling us uh, one of two things. how uh, This is an outrage, or this proves that your pizza choice is, is uh, bonkers. Hmm. Which I would like to just say for the fact I don't care what you say, I love pineapple on my pizza and it's amazing. Yes. So if you if you I, don't like it, that's fine. But but we do very much. What I really appreciated about the president of Iceland is that although he he explained also I have to laugh because one um one upgradian wrote in to explain that it was the president of Iceland, the country, not the frozen foods. That store. was why I said the country because in in that, the UK there is a frozen food store called Iceland. Uh, yeah. And I just feel like it's worth just, just putting that into perspective, you know? Yeah, it makes me laugh. Anyway, um, the uh, he said in a later follow-up after this caused a, a ridiculous controversy. An international outrage, I would Well, that's say. true because we're going to get to the Canadians. There was definitely some, some uh, <laughs> across the North Atlantic, there was some, uh, some tension building. But he said, he went on to make a point that although he doesn't personally prefer pineapple pizza and recommend seafood pizza instead, that he, just because he's the president, he doesn't think presidents should make a law that people should only do things that he likes. That's not, he's, you know, people should be able to do what they like. He just says as a person, he doesn't like that kind of pizza. He prefers the seafood pizza. And I thought that was a, a very nice follow-up for somebody who probably has better things to do with their time than talk several times about pizza toppings. So full However, good job, President of Iceland. I will say, I cannot abide by somebody saying pineapple is not a good topping and instead saying seafood is. Yeah. Seafood on a pizza? I, I cannot envision a fish pizza, but I don't like fish. I don't like seafood in general. Uh, then again, he's in Iceland. They're right there in the middle of the ocean. Uh, they probably really like their seafood there. So that's fine. Whatever. And it turns out, turns out. Turns that- out the hawaiian pizza the pineapple pep- the pineapple and ham which is the traditional yes. right was actually invented in canada yes and justin trudeau who is the prime minister of canada and is i would say a, a, a meme machine i think yep. is, is pretty fair uh, he came out and said on record that he stands by this delicious southwestern Ontario creation and that he is in fact team pineapple. So I'm wondering if maybe we should just uproot and move to Canada. Both of us and we base upgrade from there now. Well, Canada's pretty great and mm-hmm. it would it has something for both of us in that it is a uh it is a unique mixture, you know, of English and Amer- and North American, you know, United yep. States culture. It is it is sort of the place, other than maybe like Bermuda or something. It's one of the few places that is uh, this this combination of my my culture and your culture. Yep. Uh, swirled together with it with the unique Canadian culture, but it has similarities mm-hmm. with both of our our uh, homelands. It doesn't get any better than the money, right? It's called dollars, but it has the Queen on it. Uh, that's that's true, and they have the they have the loony and the toony, mm-hmm. which are coins. I mean, um, and they have no pennies. They have no pennies either. There's lots of things to be said for Canada. Mm-hmm. Here's the thing, Mike. I am a Californian, and I struggle with the idea because m- pretty much all mm. of Canada is pretty far to the north from me, and the weather 
is that not is, a problem. is not not so good. Not so good. If I if I must move to Canada, I would probably choose Vancouver or Victoria, something on the West Coast as a All West right. Coast guy. We'll move but, there. Uh, but Canada's great. So yes, upgrade world headquarters of the future in uh, British Columbia. Perfect. And we we will be and the uh, the upgrade world headquarters will the commissary will only serve pepperoni and pineapple pizza. God, that'd be incredible. I could eat it every day. I could mm. eat it every day. Until you die of pizza. As <laughs> far as what a way to, to go. Die, he died you know? as he lived. He pizza. died doing what he loved. <laughs> Eating pizza. Eating pizza. Yep. So thank you, Canada. Yeah. Thanks. Canada's great. We love Canada. This episode is brought to you by FreshBooks. Life as a freelancer can be a challenging thing. Jason Snell is well aware of this. He hosts a podcast dedicated to it called Free yeah, Agents, Free Agents, which indeed. you should go and listen to. Mm-hmm. And you actually just did an episode all about invoicing and getting people to pay you. And in yep. my opinion, there is no better way than FreshBooks. FreshBooks has been designed from the ground up to work exactly the way that people do these days with it being all based online. It is built to make you more productive and organized whilst also letting you get paid quickly. The working world is different now, and with the growth of the internet, there's never been more opportunities to become self-employed. There are opportunities now that simply could not have existed before, and FreshBooks works tirelessly to make sure that their system is built to work the way that you do. FreshBooks is super easy to use. You can get professional-looking invoices created and sent out in less than 30 seconds. You can integrate a myriad of online payment options with just a few clicks. And this is why FreshBooks customers get paid up to four days faster. I really love that you can go into an invoice and see if it's been viewed by your client, if it's been printed by your client. That stuff is really interesting and really informative. So you don't have to play guessing games or send out chaser emails. And you can also actually have FreshBooks send out automatic reminder emails for you if you want. FreshBooks has a great notification system. When you log in, you'll be able to see exactly what's changed with your business and what needs your attention. And all of these features are coupled with a beautiful design, which focuses on simplicity and clarity, answering the age-old question of how is my business doing? FreshBooks is offering a 30-day unrestricted free trial to listeners of this show. Go to freshbooks.com upgrade and enter upgrade in the how you heard about us section so they'll know that you came to them from this show. I will just underscore how much I love FreshBooks. We are fast approaching our 1,000th invoice with FreshBooks at Relay FM. It really makes our work a lot easier to manage. Thank you so much to FreshBooks for their support of this show and Relay FM. All right. So, uh, Jason, you wanted to just spend a little bit of time today uh, talking about Uber. Yeah, you know, I I don't want to go like super deep down in it uh, because uh, it's been out there. The story's been out there for a while, and I'd like to say, as we often do on this show, that the the, the folks over at uh, Accidental Tech Podcast covered it very well in episode two ten. Uh, it was covered in Rocket in episode one eleven. Mm-hmm. There's some really good podcasts out there about it. The story is uh, a woman named Susan Fowler uh, spent a year at Uber. And then left to go work at Stripe. Did she end up going Stripe? Stripe, Yeah. And uh, once she left Uber, she talked about her reasons for leaving Uber and how uh, super awful (laughs) aspects of the job were. 
Um, you know, I think it's interesting uh, and important to note that, uh, as John noted on ATP, that there are lots of reasons you might not just immediately quit when something bad happened to you at your job, including liking your coworkers and being really uh, excited about the work you're doing. And uh, and it's 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 messy and it's complicated. Although I think the, what says it all is the chapter about Uber in. Uh, ATP last week because you know Marco puts in the chapters now um, was Uber is horrible, which is yep. it's a it's about it. She was she was uh, treated badly. She was uh, harassed by managers, and there was retaliation against her for reporting managers to HR. Um, and she was refused tr- she was refused transfers because uh, of bad working conditions and just it, it's a horror story. It's worth reading. Um, I think what's really amazing about it also is that since it came out you know women who work in the tech industry have have said this is not unusual it might be on an extreme end but it's not like a one you know it's not a oh one time this happened that's not what what the case is but i wanted to talk about it uh, you know, I don't want to retread a lot of what's been already already covered and covered uh, probably better than I can in places like Rocket and ATP. But I wanted to talk about the HR angle here. I wrote about this briefly on Six Colors too, because human resources. You know, um, I spent you know a long time managing people in a large organization, and over time that was a large group of people. And I was on a management team where we had we talked to the HR people and we talked to the other the heads of other groups about what was going on to a certain degree. There's a certain degree that I'm sure happened that was completely confidential that I didn't get involved in because it wasn't my group. But I, I, you know, I got to see a lot over the years about it, and that's the thing that struck me about about Susan Fowler's story is about human resources, like. Yeah. Human resources. Um, also, my my uncle was uh, the vice president of human resources for a large, uh, like a Fortune 500 company for um, Owens Illinois Brockway, which is a, a, a glass and plastic manufacturer. And he did like union negotiations and all of that. Um, so I, I, I thought about HR stuff. My wife worked in HR briefly. I mean, it's I thought about this for a long time and worked with HR people for a long time. And, you know, HR, John mentioned some of this on ATP. HR used to be the personnel department first off. They used to just call it personnel. And that's something that you you might be able to kind of see that what HR is, is it, it's, you know, it's an, it's an entity that that works for the company, right? It, these people work for the company and their primary job really is to make sure that the company doesn't fall into legal trouble. So their job is like to make sure that if you've got unions that you have to negotiate the union contracts but it's also things like here are the company rules and processes and if you follow them and don't follow them and here are the benefits and we're going to administer them and when i say that the hr department works for the company i mean what i really wanted to say is um a lot of people who are just workers and have an hr person that they fill out forms with or talk to about issues they've got with their benefits and all that you can and hr people are you know almost all the HR people I've met have been great people who legitimately care about the people who work for their company. But um, when when a company's culture is completely aligned with the idea that um, that the employees are important and that they want to be taken care of and they want they need to be protected if people are breaking the rules or doing things that are bad, uh, when the culture is aligned there with the with those kinds of values. Um, then HR really is a, a pretty healthy place that is about uh, protecting the interests of the employees and the company. And um, 
And the best HR environments I've been in have been like that. What gets bad is when there's a kind of broken corporate culture where suddenly some of the priorities are um, are not really conducive to uh, taking care of your employees. And it's much more about, you know, in the case of Uber, protecting uh, sort of unfireable people who are bad actors and shielding them from uh, any fallout from their bad behavior at the expense of other employees. And what we, what you saw in the in Susan Fowler's story is literally HR people gaslighting an employee and saying, no, this has never happened before. This is a first time when it turns out other people had also reported this person for the same, uh, you know, making passes at, at, at women who reported to him. Uh, it was not a first time. And, uh, and, and so, I mean, that's the truth of HR is that if your company, if your corporate culture is broken, um, or skewed in some way, HR is no longer necessarily a refuge. And I know that there are HR people who get frustrated about that. I will say the worst HR people I've ever worked with were people from a kind of broken culture who I came to not trust. And in fact, I had managers in that group tell me not to trust the HR people because they were almost like the enemy. And that was a sign of a culture that was not was messed up. <laughs> so um, anyway, my, my, my big point here is uh, I love HR people. When they're in a healthy environment, they are great to work with as a manager and as an employee. They are very helpful people. They want to be helpful. I've worked with some wonderful HR people over the years. But in a broken culture, things get really bad. And when Travis Kalanick says, or Kalanick, yeah, Travis Kalanick says, uh, oh, no, 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 this is against our culture. Uh, we're going to get to the bottom of this. My takeaway is, no, it is your culture, dude. It, it is your culture. Because uh, for your HR department to act this way, they must feel like the company's priorities are completely broken. And that comes from the company culture. because. Yeah otherwise they wouldn't behave this way. I mean, you worked in a big bank. You know, what's your what's your take on all of this? I was also a manager. Um, you know, I, I had to deal with HR uh, for many different reasons. You know, when I had difficult employees or employees with difficulties, you know, I had to work with HR, they had to work with HR. I had to work with HR when I was going through some problems. I mean, really, I think in a, in a responsible company, a big company, uh, the HR department should feel like an independent organization. Like they should feel like that they're an outside part of the company because nobody should be able to put their hands in and mess around in there. Right. It, it, in, and in an independent, yeah, they should feel independent. Ultimately, they do. They are trying to make sure that the that the company is shielded from problems. But if you think about it, like in a healthy culture, protecting the employees is part of the culture, and it and therefore protecting the employees by making sure people follow the rules also protects the company. Right. Mm -hmm. That that is, and I, I and I've had that. I mean, I, I've had HR people who have defended employees about like, you know, we shouldn't lay this person off. We, you know, like really serious, like, and, and, and push back to, to yep. uh, push on the best interests of the employees and say, you know, to management, you need to uh, rethink the way you're approaching this. Yep. And that's that in a healthy environment, that is absolutely what it should feel like, but it's not like the independence is, um, created into the group right the group doesn't isn't fundamentally independent it's, no, it, it, it feel feels fair yeah. because the culture has said we want to treat everybody fairly like a, a good hr department should should not feel like it's defending any individual except for the rules right like sometimes they'll work against people 
Sometimes they work for people, right? Like employees, or sometimes they they work for the managers. Sometimes they work against. Like it should always just be that their guiding principle is the rules, right? Um, that they're not necessarily going to go one way or another. So yeah. if a company is doing stuff like this, the rules are even not clear enough, or they're not enforced, or there are incentives to work against the rules for whatever reason, like. It, it seems like from from what has been said about Uber at this point that this isn't just one bad person inside of the no. HR department, right? Because there have yeah. been multiple stories of this type of stuff. I mean, let alone all of the other things that Uber has done, right? Like, right, like threaten journalists yep. with spying and yep. yeah, many. So, the list is long. <laughs> at this point. No matter what they think are the principles of the company, the employees of the company are not following the principles that have, in theory, been set out. What they're following is the leader. And yes. it seems like that that's not going very well. Like, I hear so many people say that like everyone that works at Uber is terrible. And I, I don't agree with that, right? Because they're obviously not. You know, like no, Susan Fowler would deny that, right? Exactly. Because she said she loved a lot of her coworkers and the projects that they were working on were fascinating and interesting, right? She's not saying it's a it's awful, it, you know, hundred percent. She's saying that this aspect of it was untenable and it's cultural and it's huge. Yeah, but, but like what is very clear is that there are people that are being treated treated terribly, like yeah. Either they're being sexually harassed or they're being bullied or there's, you know, a myriad of problems that have to be fixed if this company is going to continue. I mean, the, the sexual harassment is incredibly offensive and has understandably gotten a lot of the attention here. But the thing as a manager uh, of many years, the thing that struck out at me the most was the retaliation. Like at one point in her story, literally the HR person says, well, you're going to get a bad review because you reported this guy and that's mm -hmm. just going to happen. Yep. And and, you know, we're going to deal with it. And that is that is incredibly i mean that's illegal yeah <laughs> that's like and, and that goes back to something that that uh i've heard a few people say which is if the H hr department's job is to protect the company from being sued this this group did a really bad job because that's like a fundamental like like responding to reports of sexual harassment with retaliation is literally the how big would you like the check to be mm -hmm. moment in terms of the law that's amazing that they they can show and they admitted that they were going there was going to be retaliation against her for reporting this incident it's amazing but that's how broken this culture was is that is that even something like that of protecting the company wasn't as high up on the list as protecting these people who were bad actors and allowing them to continue doing it that is, that is a completely broken culture i just really struggled to get my head around how there is clearly such a focus on women in technology right now right it is a thing that is, is being spoken about. There are so many pushes to try and make these environments better. I cannot understand how a company as big as Uber can let something like this happen. Like, I just cannot understand how you can still, at this point, have a culture that has not ironed this stuff out. Like, this shouldn't be happening. There should be no push on the HR department to act this way. They should be pushed the other way. They should be pushed to overact in the other way. In a healthy corporate culture, the HR people say, oh my God, did you see what just happened? That guy needs to go. Because we cannot face that type of public relations, right? Like, they must know. 
Well, yeah, but also just from an HR perspective, it's like you, you have to have the healthy PR aside. I mean, the management should be supportive of it for a lot of reasons, right? To, to, to defend their employees and protect their employees and have a positive work environment and to not have this be an issue where it's a huge uh, PR problem if it comes out. Yeah, I, of course, I don't mean this like this shouldn't happen just for PR. Like I, what I mean is like it should never happen, but especially right now, right? Like these things should not be done. They should be dealt with appropriately. But in right. the culture that we're in right now, like the, the climate that we're in right now, like you have to overact to these things to try and stomp them out, right? Yeah, and the the again, I, I have a hard time imagining how this situation happened because the HR people I worked with would not take any crap. Like the years that I worked at the at Mac Publishing, Mac you know MacWorld, and and in my early days at, at PC World, MacWorld combined too. Like, I mean, I would talk. And, and there would be a lot of back and forth. Like Kate, my HR person, she was a fierce defender of the of doing what was right and the rules and of the people. And you know she and she would push back against the management team. Ultimately, if the president of the company said this is what we're going to do, you know she she would need to do it or I guess quit if it was something outrageous. But there was that kind of relationship. And what I see in these Uber reports is that HR was. You did not have that relationship. Either HR yep. didn't care and had already been made, it had already been made clear that their number one priority was keeping this great talent no matter what they did. And if they acted like awful people, it didn't matter. Or they had just decided that they couldn't fight it anymore. That um, anybody who would take a stand and say, this is unacceptable, these are not the kind of practices that any modern business should ever do, that they were, they, they were, you know, essentially told to leave or they had to leave because they were not being listened to. Because that that's that's the healthiest moment here is, right, the HR person should say, we got to get this guy out. And yeah, okay, if it truly is somebody's first time, I can see the argument that like, Okay, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna take this person and we're gonna give them training and we're gonna we're gonna you know give them put them on probation and we're gonna check in with them and all of that. You could we can we could argue that point about do you just instantly fire somebody for certain offenses versus other offenses or do you give them a second chance? But if you do give them a second chance in some way, you know, opportunities to retaliate and you know uh, having other things happen, you know. Then, then even with a second chance, that second chance should be on a on a like thin ice, mm-hmm. and they should be gone. And the HR department should be patrolling that, right? But none of that seems to have happened here. And in fact, it's the reverse where they're defending the 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 bad actor. And it's just it's baffling to me because the HR people I worked with would, I mean, they would push back on way more gentle things in terms of. Uh, you know, anything involving the employees. They were always like devil's advocate, at least for the employees. Like, what if we did this? You shouldn't do that. Uh, Did you think about this aspect that will happen if we change this policy? Like, that's... That was my experience with my HR people, and it was great. I mean, sometimes it was annoying, right? Because you're like, oh, I have this great idea, and they're like, that's not going to work because. But that's their job, is to do that. And at Uber, it's just, yeah, it's baffling to me that, that how broken did it have to be? It's not like they said, we're going to hire a- evil HR people. Whoa, get, get the evil people here. We want evil HR here. That's not, either, the, either it's people who are like willing to do whatever because they're working for a big company and they'll do whatever, or they're so, you know, they're so beaten down that they they uh, just will follow orders. It's just baffling to me because I think most HR professionals would just be aghast at some of this behavior. It's it's amazing. Yeah, it basically, you know, this shouldn't be happening anymore. Companies need to be more responsible. Yeah. I don't know if and how Uber can can show that, but they need to show it. 
I have a theory about why this happens in a lot of, and it doesn't, it's not a like why sexual harassment happens, but like why so much of this stuff goes un, uh, undocumented, unpunished and all of that. I, my theory is that in a lot of these tech companies, they are young and they, they are founded and run by people who don't actually know what the rules are or don't care what the rules are. In fact, maybe they got where they are by ignoring what the rules are. I mean, that's the whole Uber co- corporate culture, right? It's yeah. just do it and not worry about it and don't worry about the rules. Who cares about the rules? And maybe there's something in that, that like the way these cultures get built is totally deformed because it's entirely focused on uh, startup growth and and high performers and things like that. And that like anything goes, you will work, you know, way more hours than anybody should be asked to work because startup and, you know, our high performers who do that are incredibly valuable and we want to give them incentives to do it because startup. And then you get to that point where um, you've got uh, an HR department because you have to, because somebody said, no, you need to hire HR because you can't, you know, you, you actually need to pay these people and have policies and, and all of those things and do payroll. And they're like, like, all right, we'll hire some HR people, but they're never integral to the company. They just get in the way and they are they are to be batted away whenever the startup mentality kind of floods in. Now, yeah. that, that might be an excuse. I'm not, not a good one. I'm just trying to understand why it might happen at a startup like Uber has been. Um, uh, th- why did it get so broken? Maybe that's one of the reasons. That doesn't really excuse all the established uh, corporate cultures where this happens. Like if you've been, if you're Apple and you've been around for, for decades, uh, this should, this should be over. And, you know, my understanding is old tech companies have these same problems too. So I don't know what's the, what are the priorities here? It's, uh, it's, it's frustrating. Yeah. I think at the point where you have to hire HR people, you can't do that stuff anymore. You know, like you can't break people, you can't push people, (laughs) you know, like, right. Obviously, obviously, that the things that Susan was talking about in her piece should never be allowed anywhere. But like at least some of the things that you're talking about, like over pushing your employees, making yeah. them work every hour that ever happens. Like at the point where you're at the size where you need to hire HR, like you just can't, you just can't do that anymore. Yeah. And clearly for whatever reason, they, they didn't bend to that. I would argue that maybe Silicon Valley cultural in general is broken or deformed in, you know, to a certain degree mm-hmm. where not just things like sexual harassment or failing to hire women and uh, and people f- who aren't white for jobs, you know, beyond that to just basic employee care, mm-hmm. like the idea that uh, I think a lot of Silicon Valley is built on hire somebody in their early 20s, work them to death until they burn out discard them they get money that they haven't spent because they haven't lived their life they've just been working and then they go off and do something else with the money uh but uh, you know you work them and break them and throw them away and continue again and a lot of silicon valley companies that is the business model yeah i mean you you name checked apple a moment ago like from all reports i've ever heard they still are like this yeah yeah, certainly in some groups. I think not all groups are like that, but in the core product groups and all of that, yeah, there's this expectation that we will we will work you uh, in a lot of companies, including Apple. We will work you to death, basically. You don't have a life. Uh, you work for us. We pay you. You can't do anything with the money, but we pay you. And then at some point, people are like, and we know people like this. I've talked to people like this at, at Apple conferences. Mm-hmm. Like At some point, they're like, I'm not going to do this anymore. And they go on and they do something else with a more reasonable uh, work schedule. And I would say that, uh, that this is a broken part of Silicon Valley culture uh, because the attitude there is, why pay 
an older worker who wants to have a family and a life for 40 hours a week or 50 hours a week when I can pay a lot less to a 20-something and they'll work 60 hours a week. And um, I would say that that's kind of immoral because you're exploiting your younger workers, uh, discriminating against people who have lives, and you're just you know, you're billion dollar companies that are cheaping out because you've got, you've got kind of cheap labor that you're exploiting. And then at some point that I feel like that is broken and that people should be allowed healthy company culture includes the fact that people should not uh, have to work a 60 hour week, but Silicon Valley culture, that is incredibly common. And it's gross. I mean, I've worked in those industries. I know people like advertising is really bad. Banking is really bad. Like still, you know, like th- these aren't, there's nowhere near startups, right? And they work people to the bone. Yeah. Companies want to get as much out of their employees as they can, as they can get away with for as little as they can pay them. That is, that is a part of the, part of the deal. And, you know, I, I do think that that is beyond a certain point that is, uh, that is broken because I, I'm, I'm skeptical of how, um, how much, how effective people are after a certain point and whether that's actually uh, useful or not. But also I think it's immoral to burn people out and know you're burning them out just because, look, if you want to work more, that's fine. But cultures where you literally can't not work, it's, uh, it's, it's broken. And I would, I would argue that once you're at that point in your corporate values, that it's not a big jump from there to all these other things because yep. you've already got a, an HR group that is essentially not defending its people because it knows it's it's workers because it knows that these kinds of things are just part of the game. You you have already established your fundamental lack of respect for the people that you pay money to. And yeah. and that sort of starts seeping into everything and then you just start to forget what should be basic human values which is clearly, as we've seen here, where Uber is right now, and they have to have to fix it. Like, they just have to fix it. And, the, you know, the, the the press has been on them, uh, in thankfully, in such a harsh way that they're making a bunch of statements and they've been, what do they get, like a former U.S. justice or something, like, in to start looking at it for them? It's the attorney general. That's uh, it. One of the Obama attorney generals is investigating it. And, yeah, we'll see. I mean, I can't, and it's going to be like a public cleave, like it's going to be like a public report, right? That they'll they'll publish about. Yeah, this. we'll see, we'll see. I can't imagine how that's going to look for them. Yeah, <sighs> they just got to fix it because this this really isn't where we should be, and we should be at this point trying harder and harder to bring people of all backgrounds and genders. Like, I can't believe we're still doing this into these companies and making them feel safe. Like, how? How are we still at this point? I I cannot understand it. So uh, I hope that there's some change. Yeah. Today's episode is also brought to you by Encapsula, the multifunction content delivery network that boosts the performance of your website, protects it from denial of service attacks, and secures it from bad guys, whilst also ensuring high availability. All you have to do is make a small change to your DNS to activate Encapsula. You don't need to install any hardware or any software. It's ready to go whenever you are. Then you'll have access to Encapsula's global network of 30 data centers with three terabits of bandwidth. 
This network stops attack traffic and makes sure denial-of-service attacks never hit your servers whilst also caching your content and optimizing connections so your users get your content lightning fast. And you can see it all working on Encapsula's dashboard where you get a live view of traffic with the ability to also create custom rules to meet your exact needs. You go find out about Encapsula today by going to encapsula.com slash upgrade. And as a listener of this show, you'll get one whole month of service for free. That's incapsula.com slash upgrade. This is where you'll find out more and claim your free month. Thank you so much to Encapsula for their continued support of this show and Relay FM. My entire mind right now is occupied thinking about Friday. Because on Friday, the Nintendo Switch is released. Ah. I have some Switches on pre-order. <laughs> I have multiple machines pre-ordered. Um, because I have suffered in the past, Jason, uh, from yes. pre-ordering things that don't arrive when they're supposed to. So I have yep. a, a handful, a small handful of pre-orders um, from different <laughs> places. And uh, I have, if I get all three of the pre-orders, I already know what I'm doing with the other two consoles. I won't be keeping them. I'm selling one onto a brother and then the third one either onto a friend or I'm going to be putting it on eBay. Um, sure. Are you at all interested in the Nintendo Switch? Uh, I'm interested in it. I'm, I made the decision not to pre-order it. Mm-hmm. Um, part of that, and you know, forgive me if you've heard this before, but part of it is console creep. Yeah, which this is, is a total thing. Yep, 100%. You know... You know, I I have a Wii U, mm-hmm. which I like. I bought f- mostly for Mario Kart, but there are a bunch of great games on it. My kids were playing Mario Mario Kart Eight the other day. Um, I'm not sad that I bought it. Um, if it had been completely incompatible with all of our old Wii games, I would have been sad that I bought it because there are not that many Wii U games out there, and now it's a kind of a dead platform. But we had a Wii with all those Wii games, and it's compatible with all of them. So, like this weekend, my family and I played uh, Beatles Rock Band which is a Wii game. And we still have all the instruments still work on the Wii U and it works on the Wii U and it's great. Plus then we can flip over and do Mario Kart 8 and that's that's a Wii U game and it's got the high high quality. So my point is the Wii U for me had value because it was replacing a box, right? An and one of the things that yeah, oh. And but it's not a it's not a it's I I'm I'm keeping a level number of consoles in my house, right? Yeah. But like the Xbox 1 which we have I still have an Xbox 360 in a different room. Why? Because sometimes my son wants to play those Xbox 360 games and the games he likes never got that compatibility thing that Microsoft talked about but really didn't deliver on where you could download, you know, Xbox One compatible versions of Xbox 360 games. His games that he yeah, played that's never... that's a slow-moving but continually hmm. moving process. Yeah, there may be more now, but it's one of those things where I've just kept the 360 around because yeah. why not? Yeah. And, and we have the TV that's out here, actually, in my office that, that he will come in here sometimes and, and play on the 360, and it's great. But again, it's now there's another console. I have, a, I have a PlayStation 3 and an Xbox 360 in this room, and then I've got a Wii U <laughs> and an Xbox One in the living room. There's a lot of games in the Snell Zone. So... So that's my feeling about the Nintendo Switch is I'm intrigued in it, intrigued by it, but it's another box in our house. And I realize this is a box you can pick up and carry in your hands and do other things with. Mm -hmm. And it looks cool. And I'm looking forward to it. And since we are a Nintendo-y kind of house in the sense my kids have grown up with the Wii and then the Wii U and and it's, it's part of their 
it's part of their childhood and, and they still have fondness for that stuff. And my son has a DS as well. Um, I feel like we will probably get one at some point. Um, and that probably it'll be my son kind of demanding it. <laughs> and given that he will be able to play it on the TV and just walk away with it and play with it, you know, without taking over our living room, um, I'll probably get there. But, um, and the stuff looks good, you know, and that's where you're going to be able to get the latest Mario stuff and, and, and Zelda and all of the Nintendo stuff. But I'm holding back a little bit. I'm, I tend not to be a first buyer of any consoles and, and there's just my fundamental frustration with more box clutter in like, I don't have a PS4. Why don't I have a PS4? It's like, I don't want another box. I'm intrigued by the PS4 with the VR and all of that. uh, And yet I don't have a PS4 because where am I going to put that? I mean, I've already got a huge stack of boxes in my living room. It's too many boxes already. As you say, luckily the switch is has a very small footprint. It's It's very small. small. So that, you know, it's good for if you have a a unit, like it it obviously isn't your problem, but for many people, like if your problem is how am I going to fit another console? Like it fits nicely into your existing arrangement. However, Nintendo at this point, um, doing people in your position a favor, uh, which is doing a disservice for a lot of the people that are buying the Switch immediately, is that there's like four games. Um, And this is the same for many consoles, right? Um, but they also don't even have a lot of ports available of old stuff. Like, it's, it's very slim. However, what they have already done is they have a good runway of games that will lead up to the holiday season, mm-hmm. which I expect the plan is that they are going to be selling it now. A bunch of games will come out. They'll drop the price at the holidays, and you'll be able to get a great bundle with the new Mario and have Mario Kart on it, and it will have Zelda on it. Splatoon, yeah, and- you know. And and you can see uh, Splatoon, which is such a great game. So mm-hmm. I think that it's a very smart rollout because they're rolling it out in, you know, it's not even spring yet. And, you know, with Nintendo, we've seen it over the years. There are always huge availability problems. Like, I remember trying to get a Wii, and it was really hard. Like, it yeah, was hard the to Wii find was uh, a unique case. It, it was a combination of Nintendo were trying to see if they could constrain reliability. This is yeah. what believed. But then also, it was a massive hit. Right? So it was yeah. unfortunately a double a double header. Right? But and but you know yeah. when I when I tried to get an Xbox One, um, which was after launch by quite a bit, it was still kind of hard to get them. Like I, yeah. I find the consoles can be hard to find and hard to buy. Well, look at what it's like when you try and buy an iPhone, right? You know, you want to buy one immediately, you wait for a month. You know, like it's exactly. that kind of idea, right? So I think this is smart on Nintendo's part because they're not like what Apple has become where they they drop a huge, they're manufacturing them all the time and then they announce the product and they drop a huge amount of them and they can fulfill a lot of their demand. Although even Apple, as we know with the 7, the 7 Plus could not fulfill demand um, at all into the, into the whole first quarter of 2017. Mm-hmm. But... This gives Nintendo time to launch the platform, get people, including their developers, used to what the platform is, and ramp up production, gauge demand. And so when you hit the holidays, when people might buy these, and that might be when we buy ours, although, and my son's birthday is in August, so maybe that's a thing too. I don't know. But at that point, they should be available, and there will be more games for them, and it will all start to make sense. So that's my that's that's my kind of applause to Nintendo. Like if they do this right, when they hit the holidays, anyone who's going to be able to want a, a, a Switch will be able to get one, and it'll have great games, and they'll be happy. Yeah. And that's the way you do it. You don't want to frustrate yep. people by creating sort of 
you know, accidentally or purposefully this scarcity where, where it's hard to get. It's like, no, no, no. You want people to be able to go to Amazon and say, give me a Nintendo Switch and have it come two days later. I think this is part of the reason they've done it because March is a terrible time to release a games console. There is no good reason to do it. It's a soft launch in a way, right? Including the, the catalog, which is very small. It's really a soft launch. And that's, I, think that's, I think that's fine. I think it's fine because really, when do they want to be at full speed with this thing? Holiday quarter. Yeah, because Nintendo have a lot of work to do to try and encourage uh, outside developers to make games for their platforms again. You know, and they're doing, they've got some interesting deals in place. Like the next FIFA game will be available on the Switch. And that is something that has not happened on Nintendo consoles for a long time, especially what yeah. it looks like it's going to be the full game, which is also something that hasn't happened for a very long time. <laughs> Even on the Wii, you know, console yeah. makers would release these weird or watered down versions of these games. I mean, why do I have an Xbox One? It's because, it's because. I wanted, I mean, I had an Xbox 360 because I wanted to play De- Destiny. You know, my, mm-hmm. my son wants to play Overwatch. Um, the, these are, you know, titles that are not on Nintendo's platforms, and it's frustrating. And yeah. there's still going to be a lot of that. There, there is. I think Nintendo's always going to have that where they're not going to have the, the, the AAA titles and all of that. But if Nintendo can do what they do well, which is their their stuff especially, and they've got this really interesting design where it is a handheld and a console in one, then um, they they have a chance like to reach people who don't really care about the AAA mm-hmm. games and also to be a second console for people who've got a PlayStation or an Xbox One but also want to get the Nintendo stuff. Because it's such a different product, I think it actually feels better to buy something like the Nintendo Switch because it's not yet another plastic box under your TV like the PlayStation and the Xbox. Also, if and when they go all in on it being the only Nintendo platform, that's going to be a big thing for them. Because yeah. then they get people that they get want all the, the handheld they get all the yeah. ds stuff pokemon right the next pokemon game will hopefully be available for the switch only gotta be if they do that then they will be making a big statement like as of right now nintendo is not claiming the death of the 3ds line however there are also not a lot of games coming out for the 3ds it, it, make, it may go on i mean they still sell my you know my son got one for his birthday like they're they're old but there's a huge catalog and people love them and it's great for kids yeah especially like it's like you you know you you might not your kid might not have a phone but they've got a, a ds and it's great mm-hmm. um but uh i think yeah it, it'll be interesting to see what happens the um the the fact that it's a handheld makes it a different kind of product and i like that about it that it that it, it's a little bit of both with inbuilt two person multiplayer you know you can split yeah. the controller in half split the give controls. one person it's got, you know got some control innovation like on the wii which mm-hmm. is great um that that because it's portable it makes it easier to do a LAN party essentially which you know you can't do i think about that a lot with like um console games that i've got where it's like well, I can't bring my console. I mean, you can, but who does? To your friend's house, and then you need another TV and all of that. And there are a lot of games that have network multiplayer, but they don't. They won't do split screen in person multiplayer. And with a Switch, you just bring your Switch with you to another friend's house, and you can play together easily, which is a, a really great. And then you know the other thing I like about it: um, no disc. Yeah, uh, cartridge. No disc. Uh, um cards it's all on cards Cards, basically yeah memory cards and what's great about that is the games that need to install yep just pop them in and you play yep which is not the way it it is in the modern world so yeah i'm super excited about this uh if you want to hear me and federico and shahid continue to just 
<laughs> go crazy over this thing, uh, you go check out Remaster 29. As I've, We've made the joke that we're all kind of, especially me and Federico, are basically nesting for this thing right now. <laughs> like we're setting up the area where it's going to yep. go this in. This is the space where it's going to go, yep. Mm-hmm. Making sure we've got all the accessories we want. And yeah. I've labeled the input on my TV switch. It's yeah. ready to go. It's that plug. We'll plug it right in there. Yep, sure. Yeah, Get is, ready. Uh, we're very, I'm very, very excited about this. Like, I said this on the show, and uh, I'm, I'm making a... I'm planning on making a YouTube video kind of focused around this idea, but I love Apple, but I don't love Apple as much as I love Nintendo. Interesting. My nostalgia and love for Nintendo goes back my entire life. My earliest memories are playing NES games. You know, uh. it, some of my very earliest memories are playing various Nintendo games with my brother or watching him play Nintendo games when I was like three years old. Um, this is a company that has been th- with me throughout my entire life. They're a company that, like, it doesn't matter how many mess-ups they make, like, I all, I'm always convinced that they'll pull it out of the bag. Um, and and I really want the Switch to be a success because they need it. Um, and I need it if I want them to continue. So, yeah, Nintendo is the company that I love the most. It's not the company that I pay the most attention to because, you know, and honestly, the, one of the reasons that Remaster exists is because me and Federico or like the reason that me and Federico have a video game podcast it's the third iteration of this show is because we just want a place to talk about video games and mostly that's Nintendo because it's the we we are quite similar in that regard that like our entire lives Nintendo has been a part of it where Apple has maybe been for the last 10 years but like our entire lives Nintendo has been a massive part of that Um, so please let the Switch be amazing and for me, Nintendo is a part of my children's lives. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so uh, for them, it's been a part from the, the beginning. And for and I'm sure my son, who loves video games, would say, you know, that was playing Wii games is where he got his start. But um, for me, it's just as a parent. It's, it, it's that thing. I, was, I, I completely skipped the original Nintendo generation. The, the, the Wii was the first Nintendo device that I ever got. Um, because I went from the Atari 2600 to not playing video games again until the PS1. And so I skipped all over that. However, my, my brother-in-law, I would visit, um, when Lauren and I would visit, uh, her parents' house and her brother's 15 years younger. And, um, he was a, a NES kid. Hmm. And so like, I, I learned about, you know, Mario and, uh, and, uh, what else did he play? Kirby, um, all of that stuff. So... Um, cause he's, he's only a little bit older than you. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, I get it. I get it. Even though it's just not for me, for me, um, you know, the Atari 2600 was incredibly formative and then, you know, the Apple stuff, but I get why people are attached to Nintendo. And I think that that's one of the great things about, that's why Nintendo's still around. And that's why it has the power that it has is that it has a personality in a way that, you know, honestly, like Xbox and PlayStation have sort of have personalities kind of but when they're battling over triple a titles i mean they do exclusives and stuff but why do they even have to do exclusives it's try and differentiate at all between them whereas nintendo there's no again for right or for wrong for good and for ill nintendo there's no mistaking that it is what it is it is not like the others and uh that's i mean how 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 similar does that sound to how we talk about Apple? It's mm-hmm. it's a, a similar kind of feeling. Like when I watched that Nintendo Switch uh, presentation, the live presentation they did, I, I thought to myself, well, one, it's a little weird, but two, it is the most Apple-like presentation I've ever seen. 
from another company in the sense that they're just like their whole attitude seemed very um, similar to Apple. So transitioning back to the the company and their Apple. Speaking uh, of Apple, last week we were talking about San Jose and we were talking about the Apple campus and wondering whether there will be any events at the Apple campus and we weren't sure when the thing was opening. And then a couple of days afterwards, we found out that Campus 2 will be opening in April, um, but it now has a name. It will not be called Campus 2, which would have been the worst name um, ever because Campus 2, uh, Electric Boogaloo, I guess. Uh Uh, The name for Campus 2 is now Apple Park. Yes, Apple Park. Do you know I don't like it? It doesn't, doesn't roll off the tongue. Very nicely for me. There's too many peas too closely together, but uh, Apple Park. <laughs> Apple is... Park is. I, I don't know. I, I I wonder if we're gonna start calling it the park, in, like you know the loop. If it'll be like that, maybe, uh, maybe Apple Park. It does feel a little bit like a stadium. It also I think makes it harder for Apple to sponsor, like buy naming rights for a stadium somewhere because it'd be Apple Park. And <laughs> I think they would never do that though. <laughs> they would have to do Apple Stadium, I guess. Uh, it seems yeah. unlikely. They. Uh, a few people noted that it's it, it may be either accidentally or purposefully a tip of the cap to Xerox Park, which was the Xerox Palo Alto Research Center, which yep. is famously where Steve Jobs went and saw the Alto, I think it was. Yeah, I, I wondered that, and, and I kind of came to the conclusion that it must be. Because when they were talking about the name... If this ever came up, they would have gone, well, that's kind of like Xerox Park, right? Like they would have at least, someone would have like tweaked that beforehand. So if they didn't name it like because of that, I'm sure they spoke about it and like, oh yeah, that's kind of nice. They should have called it Campus 2 with the brackets from the Apple 2. That's what they should have done. Oh no. (laughs) But Apple Apple Park is, I I think it's fine. I think we'll get used to it. I think it's like changing PowerBook to MacBook. I think think we'll get used to it. Oh, we sure will. We sure will. It's not a bad name. I I just don't, I like the way it looks when it's written. I don't like how it sounds when I try and say it. Um, Yeah, fair enough. Which which isn't necessarily a reason that they should, you know, call it something else. Uh, It's going to take over six months to move the 12,000 people that are going to be occupying the park. Um, yeah, there is still some construction though that's going to continue all the way through to the summer. So it's not it's not 100 percent done, but this you know you can move people in and, and still work on a few parts. Yeah, it. there's so much landscaping and stuff going yeah. on too. I imagine a lot of the work is going to be landscaping and things that that will continue because if you look at the pictures of it, like the the center of the ring is just enormous landscaping and it's all landscaping, and then the outside of the I mean, there's so much. I mean, the other reason to call out a park is that it looks like a park with buildings in it. Like, there are trees and, and, and fields and things all over this thing. Um, and that was part of the design uh, plan from the beginning. So I think that's appropriate. Keep in mind, too, they, I, I had a couple people ask, like, what happens to Infinite Loop? And the answer is Apple has so many people in Cupertino and around there. They, in fact, I believe they basically filled up Cupertino and they've, they've started renting space in, like, San Jose nearby just because they've run out of Cupertino space. Apple will be able to move people from the Loop presumably all of the people in the loop will be moving to Apple Park. I don't know that for sure, but they'll have that space. Well, they've got so many other people in other buildings in Cupertino that they will be able to put those groups together where they're probably far flung. We talked about that on a previous show that they may be in different areas. Those groups will be able to come together in one place in the loop. Then what happens is the, the disparate groups that are out there in all these office parks around Apple and Cupertino, they will get to move to uh, other parts together 
and you know and be and and get more of the facilities together instead of being scattered and yes in the end there will probably be some some square footage in some parts of cupertino or over in san jose that they will drop but it will be like if you've ever been to Cupertino, you may have noticed this. And if you haven't done it, you should do it sometime. When you get off the freeway, you get off 280, you turn right if you're coming from San Francisco. And you uh, and at the it, Loop Campus is on the left. And you can turn in there and you, you, know, you make the left turn on Mariani and it becomes Infinite Loop. Um, what you may not know if you're focused on the majesty that is Infinite Loop there's where the Icon Garden used to be. Does it really go all the way around? Yes, it does. Look at all the parking lot that's full of electric cars. There they are. Um, but as you're coming down Mariani, uh, approaching the entryway to the loop, um, on the right side, there are all these other office buildings. Those are all Apple. That's where that ana- anechoic chamber that they that they demoed during an antenna gate. Uh, it's it's across the street. It's not even in the loop. It's across the street. And then if you if you don't make the turn on Mariani and you just drive down what is it, Stevens Creek Boulevard? I, I, what is that street? Anyway, How would I you know? drive. You, you, I don't know. I, I'm just. I'm asking myself. I wasn't asking you. Okay. Anyway, if you drive, if you drive down that street, um, just look at the signs on the road of all of the office buildings as you as you pass them. They all have Apple logos on them. Like it's a company town. It is packed. So you, you know, we think of Apple as taking place at the Loop, but it, the Loop is a tiny fraction of the office building space that they've got. Uh, in Cupertino. And so with with the park, they'll move, you know, the par- loop people presumably to the park, maybe not all of them, then they'll they'll, they'll be a whole thing. Um so the I think the loop's not going anywhere. Um because it's like another another nice campus. I think Apple would probably prefer to have the loop than to have just random office buildings in Cupertino. And then they'll, you know, they'll rearrange their other things. So it's a, it's a mammoth uh, task for facilities people. There's somebody working very hard, a lot of mm. people working really hard in their yeah. facilities group to do it. And I find it fascinating, but I don't think the loop is going to go anywhere. Um, in fact, it'll be it'll be that like building behind an IHOP in San Jose that they drop. They're like, well, fine, you know, they're, we didn't need that. Well, our, re- our, our lease is coming up and we, we, we're not going to need that space, so we're going to drop it. They'll probably also keep some space around and either allow them, uh, you know, t- themselves to spread out a little bit or keep some space open for growth because that's been a challenge for them too is where do you put people if, you're, if you've rented all of the available business space in Cupertino. Some cool statistics about Apple Park. The ring-shaped building, so the main building, houses 2.8 million square feet of space. It features the largest curved uh, panels of glass in the world. I feel like Apple keep doing this. Like they keep yep. getting the largest pieces of glass. Like, yes, <laughs> how much more glass? Yes. One day there will be. One day there'll be a book about how Apple revolutionized the curved glass industry. <laughs> <laughs> the campus will run on one hundred percent renewable energy. Yeah, there's solar panels on everything, and yep. then they've also got their big solar park down the coast that they mm-hmm. that they get all the power from and there will be a caf cafe i should say cafe yes cafe and an apple store opens the public which is great this is a huge thing that um people have made the pilgrimage right to infinite loop and they and there's the new it used to be the company store now it's just the little apple store that's in infinite loop one or next to infinite loop one and there's a little parking lot there for people to come and it's always very busy and it's a little bit weird it's so hostile feeling yeah it infinite feels like loop. you shouldn't be there yeah. right <laughs> 
So they're going to do a visitor center, essentially, where you're going to be able to come uh, to the Apple, the new Apple Park campus and park, and there'll be a cafe and an Apple store. Yeah. And it'll probably be... This is this is such a great thing that they've done because they need admit to admit yeah, you need to admit <laughs> that people idolize your company to the point that yeah. they just want to come and see it. And, yep. and you can't create a building like that and not let people come and see it. Like otherwise exactly. make a nondescript building. Like Infinite Loop doesn't look amazing. Right? Like it's just a, it's just a, like a cluster of buildings. It's a circular it's, like you know, you can drive around architecture. It. Yeah, like yeah. it's not like really amazing looking. This thing is like maybe some of the most interesting architecture around like on the planet yeah. today. Right? You yep. hire these people to make a beautiful building, let people come and see it. And if they do come and see it, get them a cafe to come and sit in for half an hour before they have to leave again. Because yep. an infinite loop you go there, you go into the Apple store, you probably buy something because they have stuff that you can't get anywhere else. Buy some pens, buy, buy a t-shirt. Buy some pens, yep. buy a t-shirt. You take a picture with the sign and then you leave. Yep. And so it's kind of a little bit underwhelming. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm really excited that they're doing this and I'm so happy that it will be open before WWDC because I can then go and see it and it's way easier to get to. You probably, you know, you could take a taxi now. You don't have to... Right. hire a car right yep. because it's so far it was so far away from from downtown san francisco so yeah i'm i'm excited about this i, th- I think that it is a, a great addition a welcome addition mm-hmm. the theater where we assume apple will be doing some product unveilings in the future will be named the steve jobs theater which is a, a fitting name um it has 1000 seats and is comprised of a 20 foot tall glass cylinder because of course it is with a metallic carbon fiber roof the theater has been built on top of a hill which overlooks meadows and the main building and the way it works it's on top of a hill but that's also like it's down in the earth like you will enter the the entryway the lobby um is this is this cylinder and then my understanding is then you go down into the auditorium so it's it's, down from the campus but still above other stuff yeah yeah so it's no but but what i'm saying is when you enter the auditorium Uh like the auditorium isn't isn't tall the auditorium is in is down in the ground like you go down like a staircase or something yeah yeah the audit when you're sitting in the auditorium you're not overlooking outside like you can't get distracted by (laughs) by a bird flying by or something no you're descending into the uh descending into the earth there which actually is how the town hall works right you you enter at, at ground level and then and then you uh are at the top of the auditorium and it goes down and that's that's where it'll be steve jobs theater is really great you know pixar has a steve jobs building <laughs> and that's how they honored him i wondered for a long time if they were going to refer to this as the steve jobs campus i think it's better this way that there is the that, would be too that, much. The, that they don't have to they don't have to invoke steve every time they talk about where they're going but uh like i'm going over to steve's place it's weird but the steve jobs theater like what what are people what people remember about Steve Jobs like his presentation so to mm-hmm. name the theater after him it's perfect it is the perfect combination of not having it be like you said too much but honoring him with a with a building on the campus and it, it, not not the big ring building but this place where all the press comes and they're going to say Apple announced at the Steve Jobs theater in this event yeah. and that's great like that and is they'll get to say on stage to be like you know in this building that is dedicated to Steve like we on Yeah welcome to the Steve Jobs think, theater yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It, yes, I think it's nice. I think they did it well. I, I assume that they obviously, again, like Steve Jobs' campus was on the table, and I'm, I'm I'm also pleased that they they found a more fitting tribute because naming the entire campus after him is maybe too much. 
So let's talk scale for a second. Yep. Because, uh, and I, I we'll put a link in the show notes to this tweet that I that I found. This is from uh, Sky One Ron is Ron Servi. He is the uh, traffic reporter for KCBS in San Francisco. Perfect person to take this picture. He takes some spectacular Bay Area pictures. You should, if you like pictures of the Bay Area, you should follow Sky One Ron because. He uh, he's he's up in the air flying wow. around the Bay Area he really all does. the time. Yeah, I'm looking at his feed now. It's amazing. Um, in fact, the one day I was sitting in bed drinking my tea and looking at Twitter, and I saw a picture of Marin County from Sky One Ron. And the funny thing is, I had just heard an airplane go over my house, and it was totally him. That was when he was taking that picture. It was pretty funny. That's a plane, not a helicopter. No, it's a plane. It's an airplane. That's interesting. Well, the barrier is really huge, um, so he needs a plane to get around to all the different. It's a it's a pretty large region, so he flies his little plane around to all of the the freeways and stuff to see the congestion and things like that. Ron has a pretty sweet job, doesn't he? It's a pretty good, yeah. It's a pretty, pretty good. good job. What do you do for a living? I fly a tiny plane around San Francisco and take yeah. photos of it. And every ten minutes, I'm on the radio saying where there's a backup, and that's it. That's every what he does. Ten minutes. Traffic and weather together every 10 minutes. I assumed you're in the rush hour, right? Not like all day. AM 740. Wow. Well, they do They do traffic and weather together every 10 minutes. They don't have Sky One Ron on, I think, except during the commutes. But Okay, because then it became a terrible job. <laughs> yeah, suddenly I'm up all day. I can't go away. I'm trapped. No, um, when it's really foggy, they put them in a car sometimes. That's extra sad. Like, I just am driving around in traffic. So anyway, this picture that he tweeted... Um, which you'll see I replied to him and said, you don't have to call it Campus 2 anymore. Now you can call it Apple Park. Um, and this was taken on Steve Jobs' uh, what would have been his 62nd birthday. I like this picture because of one thing, which is the scale. Mm-hmm. Like, the, the the auditorium looks like an look, looks like an outhouse. It looks like a water tank. It is so, it is dwarfed in comparison to the giant yeah. Yeah. ring. That ring, like, I think we're all going to go there and be like blown away by the the scale of it i think from the outside you know you're barely going to be able to tell if you're standing next to it that it's curved because it's so huge and then the inside which we are imagining like i always kind of imagine the inside of infinite loop where there's a there's kind of a little park in there and and tables and pathways and that's where cafe max kind of opens out onto and uh this thing is this thing is huge I mean, you could put a baseball stadium on the inside of this if you wanted to. It's just, it is staggering. So anyway, it's a great picture. And the scale of it is just blows me away. Like this is a big thousand seat auditorium that Apple's going to open up to the press. And it is like, if, if the, if the, if the main building is a, is a wheel, it's like, I don't even know. It's like, the, it's not the hubcap. It's like a little bolt that holds the wheel on. It's so tiny. Yeah. That, that seems kind of incredible yeah like i've been there's a building in uh in romania called the palace of the parliament or people's house um and it's the second largest administrative building in the world uh, after the pentagon right and i imagine uh, it like seeing campus two or apple park the the ringed building would be kind of like this where you kind of walk up to this building or you arrive at this building and it it's bigger than you can see Right, like you can't see the edges of it, right? Like, cause it's so large, yeah. Like it, it, the the ends of it just pass outside of your field of vision, um, and I imagine it's going to be a similar a similar kind of thing to that because this building is just it's massive. It's it has an area of three hundred and sixty five thousand square meters, 
um, which is just it's massive. Uh, it's it's like I want I'm doing like a conversion to feet now. Um, oh my, I can't even work that out. It's really big, really big is is the okay. answer. Um, and I wonder, I wonder, like how how it scales up to like what what the the new campus building is going to be like. But yeah, I imagine it's going to be kind of like that. Uh, what do you think the first uh, event in the Steve Jobs Theater will be? Well, we talked about this last week about WWDC. I think the best answer is probably the iPhone event uh, because that allows them to. I don't, I'm not sure when the theater will be ready, and there's the access in, and there's all this construction going on. It would seem logical that maybe it would be that event. Uh, because that's Apple's biggest event and to hold it there if they feel they can hold it there. I mean, I guess that's the question is, is they've been holding those events in places like Bill Graham and do they want to do all their events on campus now? And is that going to be, you know, the thousand seats is going to be the only, that's the only event venue for Apple ever. Um, that'll be interesting to see because it's, it's still not as big necessarily as a giant, uh, theater that they could rent somewhere but it's theirs and they don't have to like spend days in san francisco doing setup and stuff right and build out they can just do it at their they own it they can spend weeks before the event making it perfect because they'll be on they they control the space so i think that's something to watch is does apple do all their events there from now on um is it is it good enough capacity for that um but if i had to guess i'd say the iphone because that seems to be the um, to give them some construction time, and uh, symbolically, I think it's good to have their biggest thing be there. So I just did some calculations. Oh, good. Uh, it's two point six, I think. Oh no, wait, it's two hundred and sixty thousand one hundred and twenty-eight square meters. Okay. And uh, so yeah, it's 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 still smaller than the Palace of the Parliament. Which isn't surprising. Basically, yeah, I will I will put a link in the show notes to the the Palace of the Parliament, the People's House. It's a building with a very interesting history. I should do this. We should do this on Ingenious. I'm gonna put this in for our Ingenious <laughs> because I have some stories about this building. Uh, yeah, so that might actually be kind of fun. But yeah, I I wonder if it would be the iPhone just because a thousand they have way more than a thousand people go to that event, right? Yeah. Oh, it's 4 million square feet, by the way, Mike. Uh, by my calculations, the Palace of the Parliament, 4 million square feet. There you go. So uh, It's a lot, a lot of feet. Yeah, a lot of feet. It's really many, many feet. But yeah, do you think that they would they would do it and just scale back the, the amount of people? Because, cause, I don't know. You know. I honestly don't know. I, I I think it's it's not something I really thought about, but I, I, I that's a good question. Like, what's the purpose of the Steve Jobs Theater? Is it to prevent apple from having to rent out a space for smaller events that would have been in that theater in san jose the california theater or in the yerba buena center like is it is it or or town hall which was too small is that what it's for or is it for everything and if it's for everything or maybe everything except wwc keynote where you've got that in san jose and you might want to have that happen in san jose um, if it's for everything, that yeah, that probably means that something like the iPhone event is not going to have quite as expansive a guest list as it usually does. So that'll be the thing. W- will they do the iPhone event 
in another big venue, but every other event in the Steve Jobs Theater? I don't know. It's a it's a really interesting question, and it, it sort of depends on what Apple feels like they get out of uh, the turnout to those events and if it's worth it for them. Because like I said, it's way more convenient to have it be in the place that they completely control for all time. Yep. As opposed to, you know, as opposed to having to rent. Yeah, I mean, people don't know. Like, I've talked to people who worked on, on events for Apple. Like, the the amount of planning that goes into those is enormous. When they do Bill Graham Civic Auditorium, they spend like a week building or more, building out their demo rooms and things like it's not they don't just like sweep up the floor the day before and put on a show like it's a enormous enormous undertaking to convert those venues because apple wants them the way they want them the same with uh the same with yerba buena theater where they built the whole like outside demo building basically as a temporary structure because they wanted it the way they wanted it this gives them that ability themselves so um the question is just the big events with big capacity. Do they scale those back? But everything else, like, it's a no-brainer. And for those, it might still be worth it just to have them have complete control over the venue. Yeah. Yeah, I wonder where they'll go. We'll see. I mean, we'll see maybe if they want to do it sooner, right? There might be an event before then. They might be able to do it there. Otherwise, they'll probably will keep it to the iPhone. Yeah. Especially, you know, it is, I mean, if Apple do want to play it that way, you know, the the anniversary, 10-year anniversary year of the iPhone, like, it, it would all kind of line up this time if they want to do it. So we'll see. Today's episode is brought to you by Blue Apron, the number one recipe delivery service that has the very freshest ingredients. For less than $10 a meal, with Blue Apron, you will get seasonal recipes delivered to your home that feature fresh, high-quality ingredients with great instruction cards that let you follow step-by-step the ability to create lovely home-cooked meals in less than 40 minutes. With Blue Apron, you get all of your ingredients proportioned out and sent to you, so you just get what you need. You don't have to run to the grocery store to pick up that thing you forgot. You don't get any wastage. You're just going to get what you need. And these ingredients, when I talk about them being high-quality, this is because Blue Apron sets very high standards, the highest standards for their ingredients. For example, their beef, chicken, and pork come from responsibly raised animals. Their seafood is developed in partnership with the Monterey Bay Aquarium Seafood Watch, the standards that they have for that. And also their produce is sourced from farms that practice regenerative farming. Blue Apron's food is very fancy and very nice, but not too much. And you get a choice. So you get to set your own dietary requirements And you also get to choose from a range of recipes, or you can let Blue Apron's culinary team surprise you. No recipes are repeated of any year, and you currently can select from stuff like cheddar cheeseburgers with frizzled onions and romaine salad, baked ricotta cannelloni with romaine salad and mayo lemon dressing, or roasted pork with apple, walnut, and farro salad. Man, I do these ads way too close to dinner time, and I just mm, want to go and make one mm, of these recipes right now. Blue Apron delivered to 99% of the continental US. There's no weekly commitment. You get your deliveries when you want them, and their freshness guarantee means that every ingredient arrives ready to cook or they'll make it right. Check out this week's menu and get three meals for free with your first purchase, including free shipping, by going to blueapron.com upgrade. You will love how good it feels and tastes to create incredible home-cooked meals with Blue Apron. So don't wait. Go to blueapron.com slash upgrade, and we thank them for their support of this show. And Relay FM, Blue Apron, a better way to cook. It's time for some Ask Upgrade, Mr. Jason Snell. Yeah, all right, let's do it. Jack asked, does old technology actually get slower or just our expectations and software demand more speed? 
That's a big one. Um, you know, this this is the feeling like, you know, oh, my phone keeps getting slower. Well, no, of course the old tech doesn't actually get slower. What happens is that the software gets updated. One, the soft, its software gets updated and the, the software updates are tested on newer pieces of hardware. And so they add more uh, more stuff in there and the new pieces of hardware run it acceptably and they often don't really test it on the older stuff. And so the older stuff feels like it's going to slow down. Also, the new stuff is faster. And so if you go from one to another, yes, you know, it feels slower because now there's something that's much faster. And it's a combination of those things. I mean, but I, I, I would argue like... Yeah, so it's so it's a combination. I think that's exactly right, Jack. Expectations and software. You could use like I could I could still write on a Mac, you know, an original Mac. I could still write on a PowerBook 160 that I used in the 90s. I, I absolutely could. Absolutely could because in the end it's like Microsoft Word on those things it will let me type words as fast as I can type them. And that's really all I need. It's all the other stuff. Oh, but I want to have a retina display and I want to be able to record audio and cloud sync all of my files and have, uh, you know, and then you start making the list of all the things that you really have to have that have nothing to do with putting words down. And that's where all the power goes. Yep. Couldn't, could not have put it better myself. Uh, Say, so asked, was the first technology? What was the first technology pur- purchase you can remember spending your own money on, or what is your all-time favorite, Jason? Um, first, I mean, so I, I'm gonna say the Mac SE. Um, I had, to be fair, I had my money that, um, the way my parents saved for college for me, essentially, they gave me a bank account and said, "This is the money we saved for you for college." And that was it. So like I could spend it on things that weren't college, but then I wouldn't be able to afford to go to college, um, which is an interesting approach. Um, and I was super paranoid about it and I just didn't spend money out of that account for anything, but I used it to buy a Mac SE. That was the thing. That was the, and I, and I think I bought a, uh, and then I bought a, uh, a hard drive upgrade for it at some point, which was huge because hard drives were very expensive. But that Mac SE was the time where I felt like I was first exerting my own financial control to buy something for me in terms of something that was like money. I earned myself for technology. I'm not sure it would have been, you know, after I started working at Mac user and it would have been like a mid, you know, mid, mid nineties, early to mid 90s power book probably so i will i will take this question as like the first money that i earned because i know what that exactly went on oh yeah and do it that was a my my entire first paycheck from when i worked at the bank i spent on a the white plastic macbook oh it was my entire paycheck <laughs> But it was fine because I had absolutely no commitments at that point financially. So, like, it didn't matter. Right. All I needed was to be able to just continue to get to work. Uh, at a point, I could walk to work. So, I took my entire paycheck and I bought the white plastic MacBook, which was awesome. I already had an iMac at that point. Um, but I, I went and bought the white plastic MacBook and I loved, I loved that thing. I, I really, really loved it. I couldn't afford the black one because it was more money. <laughs> It was more money. Yeah, it was. I think at that time as well, I wanted the white one. Like, white Apple was still cool. You know, like, white white oh. Apple products were still cool, you know, at that point. They, they weren't, but okay. Sure they were. iPods <laughs> were still white at that time. It's true. 
the black one was cooler, but I'm not saying what was cooler. I'm just saying right, the okay. white one was still cool. Right. Okay. I still pref- I always prefer the way that the white one looks to the black one. Personally, yeah. that was just my 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 aesthetic at the time. Hashtag Mike was wrong. Mm-hmm. Jay Lilly asked, "Is there a non-Apple charger for the 12-inch MacBook?" So, uh, yes and no. Um, because the 12-inch MacBook is USB-C, it can be charged, in theory, by any USB-C charging device. That's you know, right. Like the, there are battery packs that will, will charge it, you know, like external batteries. There, you can get any cable and plug it in and to kind of to any wall plug. But you will have varying um, levels of success based upon, like, the voltage that the charger that you're using can output. So just check that, basically. You want to make sure that you can have something that's got kind of the right voltage that can can power the thing. Uh, I don't know exactly what those specs are, and I don't want to lead you down a path. The good thing is the new um, the MacBook is the least power required exactly. of any of the USB-C mm-hmm. laptops, so it's the easiest to find a uh, a charger for it. So, that would be compatible. Uh, but, but the answer, short answer is yes. The long answer is you might need to do a bit of research. Right. But yes, so, th- there are. It comes with a 29-watt USB-C power adapter. So if you bought a USB-C power adapter that could put out 29 watts or more... Then you could. You can charge the MacBook with it. Mm-hmm. You'll be fine. Which is, I mean, one of these sort of unsung things about going to USB-C is Apple had the you know the patent or whatever on, the, on MagSafe. And so every MagSafe thing was either a hack or it had to come through Apple and be yep. approved. And for a long time, maybe, you know, most of the time, Apple did not do that. And now, like... It all goes like you don't you don't have to have a battery that your power cable plugs into and then goes to MagSafe. Like you said, you can just have a battery pack that plugs in via USB C. The the it's wide open now for charging, uh, for charging USB C MacBooks. Yep, definitely. All right, uh, Dario asks, what is your and Jason's view on iPhone cases? Oh, uh, wow. Well, so my view overall is that if you like a case because it affects the grippiness of the phone or because you can uh, you can tuck stuff in it or ha- whatever the reason is, or you drop your phone all the time and you've been saved by a case, then then uh, you should do it. Do what, do what feels right for you. I think it's a very personal decision. For me, I never used a case until the 6 because uh, the 6 felt slippery like a bar of soap. So for the 6 and 6S, I used the same black leather Apple case, and that made it grippier. And with the 7, I've got the jet black, and it's grippy enough that I am now caseless again. I think I've used a case since the 4, because I got a free case, a little bumper. The bumper is Mm. the best case that Apple's ever made, by the way. Like... It, the, the struggles that, that that we have had in this house to try and find something like a bumper for Adina's iPhone six that was that was a tough time because we I fought very difficult like very hard to find one for the five right because most of them they look like bumpers but they have the plastic back on them right but she loved the bumper so we found one I ended up finding one I think it was like um, Spigen or that company that that, that made that. But no such thing exists that we could really find for the 6 because the phone's just not built that way to support a case yeah. of that kind. She wasn't very happy about that. But she does like her. Uh, she has a, one of the silicone cases. Um, I am an Apple silicone case person. Um, I, I like Apple's cases. 
uh, I think that they they over time the quality is improved of, of them and like the quality of it right now is pretty good I did accidentally kind of like break mine the other day it's got like a like a wear <gasps> in it like a little crack so I've got a little crack oh, in it yeah. so I'm just trying to ignore that for the time being uh, because I don't really want to buy another case right now um, I'm, I'm not even sure if I have one for uh, yeah I used to have a few for the for the 6s plus but for the 7 plus I don't have any because it has the new hole right so I'd have to buy a new case which I might do I'm going to see if I can hold out right for when they do new watches because when they like new watch bands because they bring out new case colors they should hopefully right. be in the coming month so we'll see if they do that um I'm a case person just really for grippiness and for added protection especially with the big phone it has the ability to jump out of my hand so I like to have that, that added protection because I don't buy Apple Care. Uh, so yeah, I am a case person. And then on a similar vein, Brian asked what our thoughts were on the wallet iPhone cases that carry cards and cash. I don't like these. Um, I think they add even more bulk mm. to the device. I'm not. I'm not a fan of these personally. I have. I saw when I was in LA the other weekend. I saw somebody who had a wallet case that looked really nice. Um, it was the first one of those I'd seen in a while that I thought was just like it was super thin. It had room for a couple of cards. Um, I, I also, I think that they're, depending on how you use your iPhone, having a uh, having one of those cases that is um, front and back. So it's got a little, you know, f- you flip it open. So it's got a cover on the front mm-hmm. of your iPhone. I think depending on how you use your iPhone, that can be a really nice thing. If you've got like a leather case with a with the, that it goes in. So like your iPhone is your wallet, but it's got a couple of cards in it. Uh, my daughter keeps a couple of cards tucked in the back of her case, which is, mm-hmm. I think, really useful. Um, but, it, but I think they're just tucked in. I think there's not, it's not built for a wallet yeah, case. Yeah, I know people room. that put like emergency cash, like just take the case off, put like, like a couple of bills yeah. in and close it up again. Right. But I'm with you. I feel like I use my phone in my pocket all the time when I don't need to carry around cards. Mm-hmm. And uh, so for me, I'd rather just have a second module of thing that I bring with me when I need cash and cards. And the rest of the time, I, you know, I, I can bring my wallet when I need my wallet. And otherwise, I just bring my phone. And I have a yeah. little tiny, thin wallet. So, like, it's not a big, super thick John Syracuse size wallet. So, um, uh, it, it, that works better for me, but you know, it depends on if you always, if you're always leaving the house with your phone and your and your cards and your cash, then it makes sense. Again, personal decision more than anything. Yeah, like when I'm at home, you know, most of the time, I really don't need that. You I really just, don't. I just no, don't need I, it. I'm fascinated by both of these things being like, what's your view and where do you stand? Because I th- I feel like Dario and Brian are trying. Um, I see you, Brian Hamilton. Uh, are trying to get us to like proclaim what is right or wrong. Mm-hmm. And we're, we're not those kinds of people like this. <laughs> no, is... I would never say something is well, right. Okay. <laughs> we, we, I am not that kind of person. Do what uh-huh. is right for you. I, I don't, mean, uh, I, I don't think they're fundamentally good or bad. Do what's that, right. That, for you. that was a joke, but Mike was right. Is not about, it's not about fundamentals. It was about factual correctness. That's where it began. And people people think that it's about me having fundamental decisions, but it began it began with I made a proclamation that Apple would unveil the iPad Pro alongside the iPhone, right. and nobody believed me. And then I kept, right. I kept fighting about it, and it ended up that I was right, and that was where it came. But now it's been kind of morphed into this like ideolo- ideological debate when you know that's kind of not where it started. So. Right? It's just what Mike is right or wrong about, like factually. Re- 
remember when the rumor was that it was going to be the iPhone 6 math? <laughs> and it was because somebody had seen the 6 and the A plus symbol and had, had translated <laughs> that to math? Good. <laughs> I do remember that. Good times. That person was not right. Uh, Kevin wants to know, this is uh, harkening back to another discussion today, what are our favorite Nintendo franchises? For me, it is Mario. Mario is my favorite Nintendo franchise, like the standard Mario platformer game. Yeah, um, Mario Kart. It's a great That's one. Mine. That's mine. I mean, I'm, I'm not kidding when I said that the thing that pushed me over into buying a Wii U was Mario Kart 8, because like, we had played Mario Kart on the Wii, Mario Kart Wii, forever and ever and ever. And when I realized that there was a new Mario Kart coming out on the Wii U and it was compatible with all my old Wii stuff too, I was like, yeah, let's do that because that I can't wait. And it's a great game. It's just such a great game. Yeah, when does when does Mario Kart 8 Deluxe come out for the Switch? Because uh, I want to know if I'll have it when we see each other. Because yeah. it's in I feel April. Like that, I feel like that's a uh, also a, a concession a little bit to the fact that a lot of people never did get the... Yeah, Wii U is yeah. like well, okay. If you get a Switch, you can, you can get you can play Mario Kart Eight plus some extra stuff. Unfortunately, um, it's the end of yeah. April. Ah, uh, alas, so, I've already played Mario Kart Eight, Mike. So, oh well, we'll see. But I'll 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 be looking forward to seeing your Nintendo Switch. We're gonna we are gonna record. We should say we're also gonna record an episode of Upgrade Live in London, probably in Mega Office, mm-hmm. which is very exciting. On a, that on a Tuesday, probably, because I'll, I'll be jet-lagged on the Monday. And that seems like a bad idea to do a podcast right after I step off of a, uh, uh, an international flight. So, yeah, yeah that, but, that, that was on the table, and then I immediately but, vetoed that. But I'm going to be, that means I'm going to be at your house. I'm going to mm-hmm. see Mega Office. I'm going to be able to see that Nintendo Switch. And I don't know what else, what other wonders will await me in Mike's house. I'll line up a, a, a set of things to show you. Like when you're, you know, when you're in school and uh, your friend was coming over for the first time yep. and you would line up all of the things you wanted to show him, that's what I'm going to do for you. See, that you're going to get to see all my cool stuff. Uh, and Matt asked today, finally, if Apple could bring one Pro Mac app to the iPad this year, which one should they do? Um, I'm not going to answer which they should do. I'm going to say which one I want and it would be Logic. Fair enough. Um, I would probably consider using Logic, although, uh, you know, Ferrite does everything I need in a Logic-like way. Uh-huh. And so I don't feel like I need to move on to something else. I heard you I talking wanna... to Marco and yeah. you said and you said that Ferrite, uh, Ferrite, you tried it again and it didn't work. I don't really I understand spent, this. I spent an hour trying to just cut a track, just trim it. I couldn't work it out, and I couldn't uh, find the answer in the guides. Maybe I'll sit. I'll just. I'll have to sit down with you and just step you through See, it myself. What, give what, you a what, I, what I want is an application I have to relearn. Right. That's why I want Logic. Like I just want an app that has all the well, ke- same keyboard shortcuts. I don't know why uh, the Ferrite developer okay. doesn't hasn't used the keyboard shortcuts from an app like Logic. Yeah. GarageBand and Logics are also similar. That's true. I and I don't use Ferrite with a keyboard. So. So I feel like, you know, maybe there should have been... Yeah, the the, the gesture UI just right. didn't gel with me. All right. So I, I would say that I, I would take Logic mostly, I think, for compatibility reasons. That right now the problem I have with editing things in Ferrite is that they can only be in Ferrite. And if I start editing a project in Logic and then need to go on the road, I can't take it with me. Mm. So having Logic there for compatibility reasons would be great. 
Um, I see the appeal of Final Cut, right? Where like the iPad Pro has a lot of capability. It could be a pretty great video it editor be beyond Final Cut. Like beyond what one. iMovie has. Yeah, Final it Cut should, should be I think the it one should that be. they do. Uh, I agree. But it's not the one that I would want the most. Yeah. And then Xcode is an interesting question. I think that there's so much baggage with Xcode. I, I'm i going to make a wacky prediction, which is I don't think Xcode will ever come to the iPad. I think it will, I think Apple will do a development environment for the iPad, but I don't think it'll be Xcode per se. I Maybe think they'll, they'll call, call it, it Xcode. They might call it Xcode, yeah. but it's not going to be Mac X- Xcode. It is going to have so many different uh, limitations in the ways it works because the platforms are so different. I just I think that and and because it is Xcode, I don't know. They may not call it that. They may call it something completely different. We'll see. It depends what the priority is. Like if what they're trying to do is move people, then they will call it Xcode. But if they're trying to like say that they've got a a new way of doing things, they'll give it a new name. You know. Yeah. Because it, it really depends. Swift code. X Swift. Uh, thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of Upgrade. If you want to find us online, there's a couple of ways you can do that. Go to sixcolors.com for Jason's writing, and you can find him on Twitter at, at jsnell, J-S-N-E-L-L. I am at imike, I-M-Y-K-E. Thanks again to our lovely sponsors, FreshBooks, Encapsula, and Blue Apron. Again, if you want to come and hang out with us in London on April the 5th, then you want to go and hit the link in the show notes and you can do that. Um, Thanks so much for listening, as always, and we'll be back next time. Until then, say goodbye, Mr. Snell. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye.